Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. So tell me, how are you, Rob? I'm feeling political today. Okay, well that's a good feeling. I think we're all feeling political at the minute, but why are you feeling political especially? Well, I think I've realised that, as we all know, the world is currently um, in a big time of important and much needed change and yep. reassessment about society mm-hmm. and in particular the black lives matter movement mm-hmm. which is is uh, at the center of my attention and i've been spending the last few weeks reading learning as much as Educating. i possibly can watching yes. every documentary some yes. nights not being able to sleep because i'm so kind of infuriated by the um the kind of injustice and the systemic yeah. kind of yeah it's just it's just kind of overwhelming in a way. Yep. But at the same time, I'm I'm grateful that so many people we know are waking up. And I feel like there is going to be a long sort of time now where people are going to start to change their businesses, change the way things are set up. Mm. And the guest we have today, she was born in 1988 and at a time of incredible change in Mozambique, where she grew up. And the civil war there ended in 1992. So she herself has come through childhood through this kind of political turbulence and change mm. and trauma. Um, I'm, yeah. And trauma. Yeah. And I'm, I'm mm. really looking forward to talking to her about her incredible painting, but also her performance art and um, her love of music and film and storytelling things mm-hmm. that we hold dear to our hearts. And I've been incredibly touched by, by her work. And I actually discovered it thanks to Russell Tovey. Ah, <laughs> like them are, all, Rob, I bring, I bring you all the magic. You do actually, you have been doing that recently <laughs> a lot. and I'm, I'm super grateful for that. So thanks. we would like to welcome to Talk Art... Cassie Hi, Cassie. Hello, hello. <laughs> you didn't hey, know when hi, to come Cassie. in then. Hi, how are you? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was just kind of struck by that wonderful introduction. So I was yes. sort of in a, in a rumination almost. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Where do we find you, Cassie? Where in the world are you? I'm currently in my studio. Um, yeah. You caught me kind of puttering about and I'm just sort of painting, making paintings, painting my walls. Um, I just recently moved into the studio. It's in East Hampton, New York, where nice. I live and work. 
my studio is sort of two minutes from my house. So I'm very grateful for that. You know, during the pandemic, I was able to keep a practice, which I don't know what I would have done if I did not have yeah. a practice showing up to a studio. But you know what? Actually, I do know what I would have done. I probably would have just like watched a lot of movies and read a lot, which actually sounds equally good. But there's this yeah. thing I get. It's like this sort of like anxiety or something when I'm not when I'm not using my hands to make something. And I guess also like what you said earlier, the kind of political instability in this country and just everything that's just been happening in the world in the past you know, a few months, it feels like I'm kind of like just trying to stay above the waves in a way. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. And you can do that through so, through painting. Do you feel um, like it's a, a therapeutic way of channeling anxieties in the world right now into your work? You know, honestly, um, Yes, you know, but it depends. Like, I think there's two things that artists sort of deal with when they are working in sort of the commercial art market. It's like, it's so important and I have to kind of keep this true to myself in the sense that it's like, it, it can be overwhelming um, working in the agency of the art market. And I feel like um, previous to you know entering exhibition it was like I was my practice was really much like a work on paper and I would take it anywhere in the world I would you know I had no kind of fixed studio this is sort of the first real fixed studio I have Mm -hmm. um and I would just paint anywhere and it was so immediate and it was so free and um I it's weird I'm kind of longing for those days because of something about like you know, yeah, I think that the art, it's important for art to be free in the sense of that the, the artist has agency over their work and there's no pressure. And I think that, you know, that's something that I, I try to, you know, just because the gallery says they need to work in a, two weeks, I, I, I might have to decline, you know, in a way, yeah. <laughs> because I, I need time, you know. Oh, I, I need time and I need to sit with the work and I need to ruminate. And maybe sometimes you just want to show up to your studio and stare out the window, you know, yeah. and not yeah. really think about anything else. So I just think that um, the free will is the sort of moving point in a practice. Um, I, I kind of so felt like... I think that I... I, I, I kind of felt I, I felt... Um, happy for a lot of artists that they could capitalize on this experience, especially artists like yourself, where there is a lot of attention on you right now, that you can take this slowing down period when there isn't as much pressure to make work for the art market Mm -hmm. and use it to just, as Mm -hmm. you're saying, ruminate and live in that. But actually, the art Mm -hmm. market, the art world, hasn't actually slowed down throughout this pandemic. It feels like it's it's still... In fact, it's, it's like on steroids, and I think like a lot of people just like you know we need culture to survive we need art to survive to keep identity to keep some sort of um, inspiration or um, kind of transcend a moment and I think that's when artists have to kind of pull up their bootstraps and sort of rise to the occasion yeah. um so it's almost like when i show up to the studio now i feel a sort of 
not burden. I feel a responsibility in a way. And like, yeah, to yourself, I mean, I've to your own practice or to the galleries or to the art market or. Uh, not the art market. I am really, it's, it's um, to make sure that this crucial, important time in the world yeah. that I am able to give someone or a group of people or a mass appeal, some, something to look to in terms of a relief. This is humanity. Humanity is always tearing between pain and joy, suffering and happiness. We, you know, we live in duality. So I think that this is sort of where my work stems from. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I made the show for Nina Johnson, um, that's currently up now, isn't it? It's like an online show. Correct. In Miami. Yeah, an online show, (laughs) small scale. Yeah, Miami online, small scale paintings. Um, And and I made that show like, you know, I I was in Lamu, Kenya at a residency. um, And I was sort of busy thinking about my show. And I was there sort of um, creating the kind of conceptual idea around my show opening with Goodman Gallery in the autumn. And, mm-hmm. you know, the world quickly changed at that moment within, like, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I was in Johannesburg, and then I took, you know, the next flight out because there was talk of the airport shutting down. And honestly, to be honest, I don't know if I would have been that mad being stuck in, the, in Africa because, <laughs> like, <laughs> New York was quite manic. It was not a pretty sight here. So, yeah. um, but, you know, so then I found that, like, Oh, okay, like I realized that there's something that was so urgent in the moment and that the future was neither here nor there because like where, how we kind of function in the West is that the future is kind of this like end goal that we're always striving towards and we're constantly thinking about the future and when I'm making work, I'm thinking about the future and that puts this sort of weird kind of almost capital behind living and when I realized that my show in South Africa might be subject to change or maybe you know and that was the reality to maybe towards next year or whatever I had taken Nina back up on this idea of making small paintings set aside from the currency of you know the art market or whatever it was mm-hmm. really just about the sort of almost um intuitive sort of cathartic release that i wanted to put on small paintings and then also kind of like humor and um uh sort of like this idea that we don't need to know everything or we don't have to know we don't have to have an answer or we don't have to con- like contextualize everything we come across so that's why i called the dog meat cat meat god knows what meat you know and then you see the painting of like a, a red squirrel that's endemic to mozambique where, where my family is from up north or and you might see uh, a girl on crutches with a with balloons in the background so I just I felt that that show was important kind of um 
I don't know, like spiritual work for right now. And mm-hmm. I had told everyone, like, maybe, like, instead of calling this lockdown or putting this sort of manic fear, like, you know, also this society tends to function on fear. So it's like, stocks are going down, like, take all your money out of the stocks. It's like people are just really, like, functioning on that fear base. And it was just like, you know, we can live in uncertain times and also be able to like digest everything we feel if we're just present in the moment. And so that was kind of what this show was sort of about. It's like, and I, and I had urged people maybe to consider this a spiritual vacation in a way rather than yeah. quote unquote lockdown because they want you to call it lockdown and, and this sort of thing. So I just felt like I, I just wanted to come from a, a different point of view that I yeah. felt was sort of true to, true to me. And I, I really feel like with your work as well, you know, when you mentioned earlier, this idea of like two sides um, yeah. and kind of like double duality within your work. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like mm-hmm. your, your particular perspective as an artist, I feel like you, you do always sort of seek out these other meanings and hidden meanings that we perhaps living everyday life might not have time to mm-hmm. observe. And what I find mm-hmm. so fascinating about the whole Black Lives Matters uh, movement is that, is that I think that introspective time everyone's actually had during lockdown is exactly what you're describing. It's been some kind of like, almost like introspective, spiritual, um, you know, even having to confront the self. And I think people are, have time to actually consider, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what it feels like to be someone else in a different situation or... Um, you know, which is often actually the, the job of an artist. Yeah, funny well, way. I'm going to jump in as well because I agree with you, but I also think it's a time that people recognise because this pandemic has affected everyone on the planet that we are all exactly the same and everyone is going through the same struggle and the same fear and the same anxiety and everyone wants to live, everyone wants to cure, everyone wants the um, insulin that will stop you getting it. So it's, it's suddenly like you you have a connection with everyone else on the planet, which means even more so when... Uh, stuff's coming up that like when when there is issues like this, it makes you even more determined suddenly because you're recognizing yourself in these scenarios now. I think there's a couple of points mentioned, and I I'll start off with the first about symbolism in my work because you know that's something that I can speak quite you know intuitive on. Yeah. I, for me, I feel that when I'm making work or even living life or even my cultural background and the work, the work and research that I do is that um, everything that is surrounding us is some sort of symbolism if we adhere to it, if we're sensitive to it. And a lot of the work and research that I do is thinking about spiritualism in, in our everyday life and in especially you know, kind of what stems from my work is, is definitely from my upbringing in Africa, um, you know, and I, I, th- I think a lot about East African society and, you know, the, there's, there's writings by John Mbiti where he's a, he's a, a, a African Christian theologian and he talks about sort of um, kind of philosophies around living and like sort of like um, you know, a rock can be a, a, a symbolism of a sort of godly uh, thing or object, you know. So like in my work, I might put like a red chair as sort of for me as a religious object. So this idea of like sitting with self and sort of thinking 
and, and in your deep kind of consciousness. So I, I do tear to symbolism in, in work, whether it's always apparent or not, but like a, you know, girl on crutches with a smile and an eye patch with balloons in the background, there's symbolisms in that. It's this idea that, you know, um, you know, pain can, to have, to, to experience pain, you also have to experience happiness and, and vice versa. Like mm-hmm. we need all these feelings and, in, in, in living that's, that's living, you know, um, and, and then not taking it from where my inspiration draws from or my lineage, I, I'll take it to where we are today in a kind of global sense and also in the United States of America. Um, and also, this is also a mass movement. It's a global movement that's yeah. happening in Brazil. It's happening in Sweden, you know, anywhere there's uh, socioeconomic issues and injustice, I think it is being addressed now because what had happened through the pandemic, it was very obvious in some countries and especially in the United States that there was definitely high tiers of people living very different lives. And I think even those who are not in like the upper middle class and maybe they're just middle class, they were able to get out of the big cities, get out of New York City, Mm -hmm. you know, and go upstate and get their like, you know, $2,000 a month, like little cottage, but, you know, away from. And then you had black families stuck in the, you know, tiny apartments in a kind of co-op building and some of them. And might still have to go to work and they didn't have any choice. And then there was like a food insecurities that were very obvious to, you know, a certain group of people. And I think that, and I felt like anyone with any sort of compassion, doesn't matter what race, was mm. is very sensitive to what was going on. They're like, oh, wait, these people didn't get to escape. Black people didn't get to leave the city or, you know, anyone in a, a, a socioeconomic, like, sort of, uh, like, injustice, like, where they are, uh, uh, you know, experiencing systematic racism, you know, they were at the most vulnerable, vulnerable point in this country during a time that no one really had answers for, and we still don't have complete answers to the virus. And, you know, we're just moving on because, you know, that's that's what's been said to do. But so I think that a lot of people felt guilty about that. They felt angry about that. They felt saddened by that. And then you had now, you know, people had seen the video, you know, of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something so visceral about that video because I think in this country guns have been normalized you know because it's been such a uh, you know a, a spoken about thing a, a, a weapon of oppression it's been used in schools it's been used you know in every way and I think that there's something about that video without the guns Yes. in there but yeah. that it made people like wow that's like a cold-blooded killer none of it's different whether it's a gun or a knee on the neck it's not different but there's something about that that layered it, it's like a cumul- it was like a 
cumulative thing. It was like almost like a volcanic eruption because it was like that video, you know, and a couple of weeks before Brianna and, you know, Taylor in her bed sleeping at night. And like people just like, what is going on? You know, and, and, and it's I think that is why this is all coming to this point. It's a boiling point. It's a tipping point, you know, and I think that really the work right now it's like if if you had seen yourself at any point it's a, it's a reflection period you know i think it's a reflection people a period for people to think about what they want from this country you know um what they how they want to better themselves if they are people of privilege you know and how they can change within their their work environment with their within their everyday life so i think that um there's something sort of really magical going on. And yes. it, it, of course, it's, so, it, it's destructive. It's a cathartic release. It's cathartic. It's totally cathartic, you know. And I think the, this purge needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm positive on the other side, there will be some change. I don't know how fast it's going to happen, but I think mm-hmm. that people have the right incentive and they have the will and energy and power to use it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I do feel like these sort of movements are crucial. So, Do you think these times are affecting your work and in, in the material that you're looking mm-hmm. towards? Because for the people listening, a lot of your, or mo- most of your work comes from your uh, time in Mozambique growing up and mm. you um, really delve into uh, your the heritage of that country and the culture of that country in your work and this current climate, do, do you feel like the work is changing at all? No, actually, like I, well, just to clarify, it's like, you know, I the narratives or even the names of the character or like when I, you know, I, I think I, my approach to painting, it's very narrative based. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, sort of like a person, a place and a time. Um, and so for me, my interest and curiosity lies between a rural Africa. And mm-hmm. when I think about rural Africa, I'm thinking about sort of just the cadence of African life that I observed all over the continent. But then I might sort of start to cut it down a little bit and I'll say, okay, well, it's it's a sort of more personal experience. So I will tend to relate it to Mozambique. You know, sometimes I'll just look at the map and I'll think about a name and I'll be like, okay, Jinde, you know, this is where my, <clears throat> say, grandmother's mother is from. Um, and then I might sort of do some research on landscape. And, and if, for me, it's really like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe. It's almost like these feelings that I've felt when I've traveled through rural Africa. It's sort of like it has been my most spiritual calm. And whenever I'm in times of kind of adversity or I want to bring an ease to people, mm-hmm. I think about those experiences so like with Pippi's show in London it was little is enough for those in love so I took an East African proverb and it was it, the the thing about that show it, I started that show in September last year and I felt that I needed to 
share with people that at our truest living, our truest foundation, our truest happiness, it's, it's family, community, and simplicity. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what that show was about. It's like you had, you know, friends walking down the long path and you had the, you know, sort of like lucid perspective of like, you know, these conjoined twins in the bottom corner of the painting with a woman getting married and the sort of like illustrious sky. It's almost like they're floating. And, you know, so I wanted people to feel a sort of sense of relief from our burden of living a very capitalistic life um, that you can retreat to this and so for me that felt like an intuitive process because all of a sudden coronavirus breaks out and then we're in this frenzy of buying you know and like we're so scared of losing or we're so scared of losing our job and not showing up to this where it's like actually if you just kind of sit with yourself you'll realize you know I have friends to me saying no oh, I don't really need to go to restaurants anymore. I realize I don't need to, you know, go out to the fancy bars and this and that, you know? So I think it's like people are kind of getting back to a simpler way. I think also a lot of people who've had the privilege have been able to retreat to countryside and they're seeing the beauty of living in countryside. And I do urge more people to try it out. If you can, try it out, go live in the countryside. You will really find something wonderful if you just Mm -hmm. sit with yourself and do it because... Looking at your Instagram, I mean, it is wonderful. It seems like you live a very organic life now. You live like with lovely greenery all around you and it seems like you have... Do you have like... I just planted ferns. There we go. Yeah, herbs, vegetables. I just planted ferns outside my studio and I'm (laughs) I'm working on cleaning the pot, the plot here. There's a plot that's not mine and I'll still make a garden. I think that there's really something so so beautiful about leaving a soil in your fingernails. It's really healthy for your immunity. Oh, yeah. I mean, we always, when you eat dirt as a kid, I mean, I was always in the garden climbing trees, eating dirt out of the ground and I think that it's so good for you yes exactly because you build up all the intolerances (laughs) to everything I think now everyone's got like allergies and everything because you don't have that experience of being out in nature eating acorns exactly I've actually just just planted my first um, herb garden for the first time in my life at the age of 39 so I've got all the herbs now I could ever need and I've been cooking more and and that's all thanks to this time it's your medicine yeah 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 your medicine you know I, I started I realized oh I was uh, cutting back some cat mint the other day and I was like oh let me just look this up and make sure that I you know maybe I can use this in my kitchen and I found out yeah. cat mint's really good for cramps and headaches and I was like wow it, like really if you you sort of oh, get in touch there. with your nature has put it all there for us to body, find it yes. it's there yes you know, exactly. in the winter, I do these like long, long walks through the forest, and like you know, I might eat some dew off the pine needles, and it, it's, Ooh, it's, poo or dew? it's no dew, no dew. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Toby. <Yeah. laughs> might eat some poo I off mean, the pine needles. You, know, you sound like you are a five-year-old. I think you've reverted back to that time when you were eating so soil outside uh, in your garden. No, but all this to say, all this to say is that. 
If you are living in the city and you're having second doubts of coming back to your apartment, you maybe don't need to. The city can't even hold as many people, really. It's, the New York exactly. City's disgusting. It's infested, yeah. you know? So I, it, now it's like almost like it's breathing a little bit. I was just in Brooklyn yesterday, you know? And, um, and then in terms, I want to go ahead and answer sort of the second question, which mm. was, um, if Black Lives Matter, the, 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 what we're going through currently is sort of influencing my work, um, I, I mentioned the Pippi show just to say that a, you know, when I make a show, the title comes to me. So before the you know, show, when I was in Lamu, before the show, it's right. really weird. It's every show has been like that. Like with Francois mm-hmm. Gabali was a day monkeys destined to die. All trees become slippery. And then I thought about this sort of like, um, very kind of static movement within the work everything was quite stiff and it had this sort Mm -hmm. of like ominous uh, feeling Mm -hmm. um and with so when i was in lamu i thought the the title came to me um to live long is, is to see much um and i felt like maybe i need to make a show in south africa where people have gone through a lot, uh, you know, as yep. a country, as a people, and they still continue to learn themselves and who they will be go- in kind of global players in the world. And I think Africa is always having that conversation. And um, I felt like I needed to give them something to kind of fight for. And um, so that's why I came up with To Live Long is to See Much. And... Um, I so the way I work, you know, not to give too much away because I do think this is something important being sacred, but I always do research around whatever I feel like the title kind of brings to me spiritually. So this right. was sort of like um, looking at um, the term is infrequent, um, sort of like how black bodies within science, um, science sort of having its own racial injustices, you know, Mm. um, you know, and then these sort of like circus theater freak shows where they were displaying people actually not that freaky, you know, like for instance, like um, Sarah Bartman, who was uh, the the Venus quote unquote hot and tot. Well, let's, well, let's talk about this then talking about like, because you're talking about like uh, the circus and everything. And we, 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 you mm. touched on it briefly earlier on about Siamese twins. There's lots of these characters yes. and motifs that appear through your work. And especially the Siamese twins that are quite, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to, this, is, this is again playing with the duality of two sides of everything in your work is that they're quite from the mm. off. They mm. look like uh, a, a couple of uh, young girls who are quite happy and they're well-dressed and they look quite... Um, pleased with themselves and then you realise that they're conjoined so it has this this like mm-hmm. this dual hidden meanings and double meaning to them what, why are you, what, mm-hmm. what is that about um, the Siamese twins especially but then there's uh, there's like conjoined twins where there's three of them and there's there's girls with four legs and you know what, mm-hmm. where, where is this in you found this and why is that in your work and you're exploring that so this is sort of all leading up to um, my show with Goodman Gallery, um, where I felt that it's almost like 
because my work deals with characters from African descent, mm-hmm. that it, it, it's not enough to just like paint a black body and say that, you know, you know, put, put a sort of European character and say, oh, you know, this is a black body being, uh, you know, misused by a Caucasian, you know, like uh, this is a painting portraying racism in a way. I wanted all bodies to look at this work as a sort of almost like questioning how you're caught off guard. This right. idea yep. of, of, of queer, like what is queer? Is it mm-hmm. because we've not been exposed to it? So for, for me, it's, it's more along that research of like questioning why the things we see as different are inherently bad. So I'm kind of challenging that notion. So now we're living in the sort of day and age for the most part where people are open to learning they're open to you know lgbtq community they're open to you know new ideas especially even around what it is to be a painter for a long time it was a white man that was a painter you know now it's like the people are wanting to be more open to who is calling themselves artists and including them in their own collections, including them in institutions, etc. So for me, the 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 Siamese twins or the 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 conjoined triplets or the the four legged woman is mm-hmm. is more about kind of introducing or bringing back into the sphere of the conversation that we're having is that mm-hmm. we should just be open to everything. You know, like life will constantly be throwing you new terms, new ideas, new yep. things will surface. Like we might find out there's another planet tomorrow. Like, and uh, you know, so oh God, not, that's not, why not, the title. Not this year. Not this year. Let's have this year off of this. <laughs> let, let's have a bit of a break. So, that's so interesting, Cassie, because because so that that obviously clearly links to this idea of the kind of freak show then, and and the, those kind of 19th century European attractions. You know, you mentioned earlier this idea of the exactly. hot and top Venus. And Sarah Bar- um, mm-hmm. Bartman. So, can you talk Sorry, a bit about that? Yeah. Is, is that going to be featuring that kind of theme within the Goodman Gallery show then? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I wanted to touch, touch base or sort of bring to light imperialism in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, I had just found out and I might, I have to try and do more research, but within my research, you know, I've been thinking a lot about slavery and I've been doing the research in Mozambique and, and I find out where my mother's from in Kiliman, that there was a slave, Vasco da Gama from Portugal came there. He named it the River of Good Signs, you know, it, the, and but I had found out that there was a sort of mass exodus of, of slave boats leaving from my mother's region. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned that the Prazo system was also taking place there. So what's that? What's and that I, I was just, it, it's sort of the, from how I understand the Prazo system or how it was handled in Kilimani sort of gives me a lot of insight into why Kilimani is what it is today, where um, it was, you know, Portuguese, Europeans 
marrying into or, you know, taking over different tribes or uh, regions within Zambezia. And they were, within the marrying of the system, they were, they were acquiring land. And they would go on to build plantations, crops, and like, it's so, and then there was also the term that was coined, which is mulatto, you know, a mixed person. So that's sort of this intent of like creating a race so, you know, every, like, the French did it different from the Portuguese and the English did it different from the French and from Portuguese. So it, and then, then you also have the Arabs that went into Zanzibar, Lamu, or all along the Swahili coast who also had a different technique, but a little, kind of much more similar to the Portuguese um, of, of sort of marrying into communities. And that's where you had the Swahili people that were Created. And in, in, in Mozambique and Angola, it was the mulatto, and in Cabo Verde, it was the Creole. So it's sort of this like, I'm thinking a lot also about the agency, you know, of, of taking back what's sort of belonging to you. And so I'm, I'm playing with sort of both the notions. It's like this idea of the body being a physical asset to another member that has no idea, no understanding uh, of, of, your, of one, your beauty, one, you know, your society. They just see you as a quote-unquote savage. So I'm really interested in how these, you know, these particular figures were sort of lost in mm -hmm. culture. You know, like... Um, the, the twins that I paint are the McCoy twins. They're from, uh, I believe, North Carolina or South Carolina. They were born into slavery, and then they traveled all along, around the world in this sort of circus freak show, and they were treated very poorly. And, and uh, you know, uh, they were subject to horrible scientific exp uh, kind of experiments and research, and their bodies never belonged to them. And I feel that we're not that far away from that today you know it's oh sort of God. like what year was that so that was in victorian times was it that was wasn't it like late 1800s it was eight late 1800s wow, yeah so they were um, twins you know, born into slavery and they were taken from the parents yes and then just mm -hmm. just around bought and, and sold and bought mm. yeah but they were you know always in beautiful dressings obviously because they would be like in these like kind of Moulin Rouge type of places, like very wealthy uh, kind of bars and people. And they were beautiful, you know. And, uh, but later on in their life, um, they, they settled back in the South and they did a lot for black American people, for African American people. They, were, they, they, put, they put money where communities needed, you know, within, within ultimately, the, their work was a, a type of slavery. They had no freedom. And even with that, they put currency back into the community. And I was like, wow, this is, these are twins that need to be known. And so it's almost like I yeah. felt, yeah, and I felt sad because I was like, I, I didn't know about them. And, and the fact mm. is, because they're conjoined, they were written off. Yeah. And I felt like it's almost like a haunting that I have. It's like I needed to bring them back into into to surface into some sort of uh, uh, gesture that people can now revisit them. Of course, it's a painting and it's different, but the, I believe in spirit. 
you know, and I, and I believe in the sort of like, if you manifest and, and there, I can give them some sort of homage and, um, and I also thought a lot about like wet nurses and that were sort of, you know, in Brazil, like it was a huge uh, slave trade, the wet nurses. And so, and, and one of them that I was looking at was a, a um, Negus of, of Ethiopia, his wet nurse, where her name was Nouris. And you only find her in postcards. And she has this very beautiful kind of distinct face and then these like breasts that fall to her knees. And uh, obviously she was a sort of object of infrequent. Uh, so people would take these like, sh- you know, photos of her because of her, her, her breast um, from, from all her nursing of, you know, the, the, the society, the high society's children. And I felt maybe that this would be crucial and sort of an inherent feeling for me to put these these characters on or explore them right now you know and they might end up in the good men you know but i I, and and to create some sort of narrative of or conscious around or being open to Mm. this sort of this sort of unknowing or this sort of um, mysterious figures that we haven't been exposed yeah. to, you know. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There is a figure that uh, you, because we're talking about your narratives, and you, you're definitely a storyteller with your work. But there, there are characters that appear, and there is a character of Maria which features throughout your work mm-hmm. and feels like someone that you can project a lot of um, a lot of metaphors onto. Where did mm-hmm, she come from? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She came from... Um, so Maria is sort of a metaphor. Maria is a metaphor for an oppressed people, you know. Um, she shows up in this sort of very beautiful woman, sort of uh, uh, more than dualistic. She's, she, she's sort of very fluid between different emotions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I created her because when I made one of my first shows, um, Bar Texas 1971, like it was like this sort of like show based around like one night in this bar and Mm -hmm. sort of all the different kind of anxieties and chaos that imperialism, colonialism left behind in a sort of country that's trying to figure themselves out so um this is mozambique so mozambique correct and then you know like my 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 paintings stem from a lot of things it stems from reading it stems from cinema it stems from photography and you know maria was this character that i had had seen different photos of these night walking women in downtown maputo and uh, it was just by the photographer Ricardo Rangel. And he had like um, these amazing sort of like Vogue-esque images of these like night walkers. And, wow. And, or street walkers. What's his name? And they, they're sort of like, they're like Ricardo Rangel. Ricardo Rangel. I've not heard, have you heard of him, Rob? And no, I haven't, no. 
And well, he's not known, you know, people know, people know Malik Sadibe, you know, but they, I think he wasn't a studio photographer. He was, he was, a doc, he did docu documenting a very specific time mm. within Mozambique, you know, at that time, Lorenzo Marx in uh, Maputo City. And he made a series called Our Nightly Bread. Um, and that was all these wonderful, in, intense and beautiful and vulnerable images of life at that time. And for me, I think it's one of the most beautiful bodies of work. Um, and it really struck me. And my mom had developed photographs for Tempo Archive, which he leaves behind as sort of his legacy. Um, it's sort of a, a school where one can go and uh, learn, you know, film photography, um, use a dark room. And, you know, I, I, it's such an important space. So when I made Bar Texas 1971, I actually, my gallery um the library street collective people at that time they we, we said well why not contact you know uh tempo and the cf or c sorry not tempo ccfm the central for photography institute or something like this mm -hmm. which is also attached to tempo magazine and uh let's see if we can um get them to send us over some images where we can sort of do a large wallpaper um, and uh, well that's that's sort of the gist of Maria she's sort of like this metaphor of um, a kind of oppressed people and I like that with with her I can sort of travel to many different places and sort of thinking and, and put her in these sort of you know vulnerable scenarios but also scenarios that kind of challenge the the viewer in a way um or kind of make you think like there's you know M maria maria's free spirit is inspired by an um uh emil node node free spirit yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and um i thought about how you know when the the night walking ladies um when they you know you weren't really that was sort of illegal. It was definitely illegal because the, the, the government at the time going through this, this independent struggle, they wanted women to be also on, not necessarily on the front lines, but that was totally an option too, but to be kind of um, team players on how to throw the opposition. Uh, you know, and uh, and have a free Mozambique. So they wanted women to kind of place these like sort of secret agricultural farms that the the freedom fighters can go and have food and and rest and this sort of thing. So the Marias were sort of like these kind of in a way, kind of like living on their own terms, and. Uh, sort of radical in a way and I kind of um, felt that that sort of woman or that sort of thinking sometimes is, is to be admired or, yeah. or respected at least 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, and also, yeah. the, the painting you're, you're discussing, Maria Free Spirit, which is actually 2020, so it's this year, was one of the works mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. stuck out to me when we were researching the episode. And I, I, I felt an incredible... Um, a strength from her and this I felt a kind of love for her because you know she's wearing mm-hmm. this amazing kind of yellow jacket but she also just mm-hmm. just looks so kind of loving herself and even though you've got this situation which could be um, kind of risky or dangerous or you know because there's a car in the background it's quite an ominous right. feeling at yeah. the same time you've got this really powerful woman and you, you kind of feel her strength and I don't know, I really connected with her. And that's funny that you ended up bringing that up because that was something I was going to discuss because I, I wanted to know about her as well, like Russell did. So. Oh, yeah, it's really, well, you know, she's actually, I, I just had a studio visit yesterday and so she's right in front of me. But oh, wow. um, So I'm able to really <laughs> look at her. But um, yeah, there's like so much going on in this painting and, this, you know, she is in the, uh, in the foreground. She's a, quite a strong force and yes. everything outside of her is almost just a mirage um, you know it's almost like to say this is what she, I've been through up until now or sort of like this is what I'm up against um, and then there's sort of like this when you think about aura or a kind of like guiding light yeah, because I sort of saw a halo. It was almost like religious, a religious um, icon or something. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. And then she has this like beautiful pink sort of floating floor or something. It's almost like she's walking on, you know, people might say like the ground you walk on or something is blessed or this sort mm. of thing. So I feel. Um, this painting is hugely about symbolism, you know, yes, and sort yes, of looking yes. to ourselves for that sort of strength, sort lo- of something we can learn or, or respect about her. I love the idea mm-hmm. of the past and the future and, and like how it could actually just be like memories of her experiences. And now she's at this mm-hmm. place where she's she's free in herself and in control. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. know, she's, mm-hmm. she's amazing. But um, there was something that I said to Russell when he first introduced the work to me. Um, I felt this real parallel to an artist that I first discovered in the Lebanon. Um, I saw an exhibition um, by Etel Adnan, who's an a artist who I think is in her 70s or 80s now. And, and she makes uh, paintings often of landscapes. And there was something about the way that you paint 
that um, made me feel very free when I was looking at, 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 at the nature. And there was almost like, like you were talking about earlier, this kind of like, you know, goodbye to capitalism, kind of the way people are going to mm -hmm. reevaluate the way they're living now and a return to mm -hmm. nature. But I felt like a kind of calling to nature just by looking at your, your paintings, which I also mm -hmm. experienced with, with, with Etel's work. So is, is there mm -hmm. something in that, in that way that you make landscape paintings a bit like when you're talking about that that kind of sacred floor that that um, maria is walking mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. there's a kind of mm -hmm. simplicity um and purity in the way that you apply the paint and how has that style kind of been developed is it something deliberate or is it just instinctive for you it's totally instinctive i'm I've, i'm very free when i'm mm -hmm. making work and um i think that my calling to paint is an ancestral calling. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the way that someone might be connected to the landscape in the painting or someone like the Lebanese artist you had mentioned, mm -hmm. it's because if you're living in your ancestral body, if you're connected to your kind of ancestral past there is some yearning for rural land yeah. there is yeah. some yearning for something outside of our living that has become our mundane and i feel that this is important to share um and to express to people the, the sort of multitude of feelings that one can have when you're living in that sort of, I don't know, somatic experience of like, you know, walking up a cliff or walking through a red, dirty path and, you know, dirty meaning like beautiful. It's like dusty. dirt, it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, dusty, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's almost like a, maybe we don't know we're longing for it, but it's there. And yeah. maybe you find that out when you're looking at a painting with the landscape, or I hope that maybe one might feel that when they're looking at my work. I yeah, definitely. Hope that's sort of and I, I, th I think I think it's also due to the richness of color because it's so mm. evocative. Your 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 color choices, mm. and there is something mm. that it just calls two senses. Mm. You know, to 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 one senses like. It's a mood. It feels like there's a mood. I feel I feel relaxed when I look mm -hmm. at your paintings, but then I also then then I look at the themes or I look at the characters sometimes, and I, f I can feel a sort of trauma traumatic past in mm -hmm. there. So mm -hmm. it, you have this juxtaposition of emotions when you look at your work, and yeah. there is a simplicity, as Rob was saying, to your characters that almost to me feel folk arty. Is that intentional? Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you you've looked towards? And and what are your kind of art heroes that you you look at for your own work? Well, I'd like to think that I sort of have this like deep well in my own self and no. that maybe I can pull deeper and deeper and deeper from inside that well and the things that would come out are true and honest and that would be me making my life's work in some ways mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I do feel that that is the most Individual, like individualistic thing that one can do, and I think that we that true individualism becomes universalism in a way. It's like yes. we can all 
approach and respect that that concept and that notion. If anyone, everyone were to do that inner work in whatever they're doing in their life, then we would have very rich things to share with one another. And um, so all this to say is that I'm constantly exploring and that when I am in that moment, I, I hope to God it's honest and true and that I'm doing it from my well. And if that were to ever be challenged, then I have an issue. And in terms of um, artists that I look to, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply inspired by painting and painters. So I, I, um, I, look, I don't really look at kind of contemporary artists. I, I, I feel that there is something from my spirit and my thinking from another time. And I think that there's very much something that I can learn from looking at masters and I think about Cezanne I think about you know Van Gogh I think about uh, you know there's something I love about Chagall's work I think that there's something mm-hmm. pure and honest and magical and you know him being of Jewish descent and what the Jewish diaspora had had to go through I think there's mm-hmm. something really amazing I love the the kind of visceralness of a, a um uh um, what's the, the artist's name that I love so much? Um, Egon Chile. Um, yes. mm-hmm. So I like raw. I like purity. I, I can see when something is instinctive and true. And I felt that even when I look at, uh, you know, I know I've just named European painters, but I can see that also when I look at a Beaufort Delaney painting or a Bob mm-hmm. Thompson yeah. sort of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Fave style painting. Like I feel that there's something that, it's like listening to music that struck, struck, like strikes a chord in you, strikes a chord in you or something, you know, you feel it. And I think that um, that combined with the deep inner work, you will have something to go f- with for a very long time. So, yeah, indeed. Yes, um, yeah. I've, I've read that you like German expressionism, uh, especially the artists that look towards Africa or like indigenous cultures for their innovations that mm-hmm. were also uh, an influence on your work because there's there's a lot of um indigenous culture um themes there's makondi carvings which mm-hmm. i see came to through your work through a little painting mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we were talking mm-hmm. about that that these carved wooden uh, indigenous uh, craft these indigenous um uh, artifacts are have really inspired many many artists but you're you they're also featuring in your work yeah you know when i made this uh well I'm, I'm, one of my first shows was show a uh, work on paper um called meat is meat and um and uh it was at oof books in la the small like wonderful little bookshop and those some of the paintings there had people uh mapiko dance masks that I painted in these sort of different scenarios. And I only later realized that I was like, well, you know, so many European painters were drawing masks, painting masks, you know, Picasso was deeply inspired by it. And it's almost like, in a way, Africa was looted of its, its, sort of cultural objects it's mm-hmm. you know and it wasn't seen as an art practice or anything for that sort of currency they were divinations they, they were you know um 
sort of tribal belongings that to kind of one would go to for whatever offerings or uh, prayer. They were deep members of societies or deep objects of society. And then to see it taken and reappropriated in a, um, for the sake of art, it, it does something to me. But then there's also this curiosity of how uh, we sort of pick what we feel most, I don't know, uh, curious or sensitive of. So I felt like Picasso's sort of connection with these, these masks, he was very inspired by the naivety or the simplicity, you know, mm-hmm. and um, his work is very loose. It's so, it's, it's so, and so I was really interested in how um, this man, this painter, this artist was inspired by, by these, these masks, you know, and for me, it felt like the, the Maconde so deeply, deeply inspired by this, this group of, of, of artists, these sculptors, I, I, I felt a, a true, a true calling or curiosity to learn from them mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, and take it and put it into narratives because all those sculptures have narrative, you know, they're all folkloric. They're all looking at sort of uh, folklore myths that sort of define the culture and mm-hmm. um, how people move around Swahili life, Makonde life. And um, it, it, it feels like this sort of like um, idea that life in these rural settings are sort of based on these folklores. I felt like this, we also in the West have these kind of folkloric ideas of what we understand. I don't think no, a folklore is, is bad, but I think it's like this idea of like challenging. Mm-hmm. And it, I, in the work that we see at Nina Johnson's, it's a sort of like kind of serpent, you know, figures, the, the sex is fluid of the figures, and there's sort of this kind of um, almost like, isn't it? like exorcism and this sort of like yes. um, force. And it, it's a very sort of gray area in what the weather, and going back to sort of like the duality, but then meeting in the middle where it's okay to not know. Um, and I think the Mokonde kind of play around with that a lot. It's like one of one of the sculptures really interested in was like this like woman with these sort of long ears, and they said she's like a shatani. Shatani means devil, a, a devil, a devil's whore, Witchcraft. like a, right. lost in a, a kind of uh, agriculture of cassava. Like she lives in the cassava leaves, and uh, so I I think about that in the sort of metaphor of, of society here and, and maybe translating that into a painting. So it's all this sort of dovetail of narrative that ends up yeah. with paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we, can we touch on something now, which is you, you have actually made history uh, because while we've been in lockdown, you were actually asked to 
paint the cover of Vogue Italia, which is made during photoless times. So it's the first time the covers have featured works that weren't using models. What was that? What was mm-hmm, that experience mm-hmm. like? And and you were and what what was sort of what was your brief for that? And how did that come about? And, and how brilliant that is! That cover looks so cool. Oh, thank you. Um, well, actually, that 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 um, Vogue Italia cover, I think, might have released a, a little bit before 2020, but I definitely started that. Oh, okay. Um, in the, I think might have been like December, January or something. Like this, but um, it was a it was a very interesting experience. I I would say like uh, um, there's something. The, I, I love the notion and I love the concept and the idea. And um, commissions are always a funny thing for me in a way. I mean, just yeah. someone saying like approach, approaching me to make a painting uh, and, and yeah. there's this sort of guiding. Um, but I ended up shortly after sort of a couple of, couple of moments of being unclear <laughs> because it's tough making a magazine cover. You don't know what people want, you know, yeah. and I realize yeah. it's not yeah. about that. It's just like, it's just about making a, what looks good and what feels true to me. Yes. So I went yeah. with sort of my, my spiritual palette, which was that, that soft green mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they had sent a model over to my studio and, and then oh, I was concerned about likeness. And then I really, I painted a model. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, and so that's the thing. It's like a lot of the other artists didn't paint a model. They just sent a photo or whatever. But, you know, they, there was a model sent to my studio. And I don't know if she was super comfortable being painted. She seemed right. quite nervous. It's hard. It's one thing to be a model. It's another thing to be a sitter for a painter. Yes. Two that's a long, how long did it take? It... I'm immediate. I love painting people. I don't do it very often, but I really, really enjoy it. And I love to do it for time. So, um, right, you really I, put pressured her to sit there for as long as you needed. Yeah. Well, it was more like, like trying to do it as fast as possible and do a couple. Uh-huh. But the thing is, I need my sitter to really, really be still. And otherwise, I can't get the angles right of the face if she's moving around. Or, or it, and it still comes up, but it's not likeness. And sometimes I guess mm. I realize like a painting is not about whether the person looks like it. It's no. what the painting looks like. <laughs> so after she left, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do it like my way, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I painted her essence it's always almost like the essence she left behind wow like the the trace or something yeah it was weird it was like i was thinking about like her shape you know more less than less about the the face i think sometimes modeling you know and and it it can sometimes leave a, a very it's like you know how to be in front of the character like the sorry the camera you show your best self yeah. And I think that may be translated into our moment. But when she left, I was able to think about spirit. See, it's when you're a sitter, when you're someone that hasn't modeled, you, you can sit in front of a, a painter and I can see all the vulnerability. Yeah. I can see every kind of humanness about you. And do you think so you're quite a I, spiritual person, Cassie? Yes, I do. 
yeah I do feel like I'm a spiritual person I I um I think I I hold a lot of uh I don't know inner workings that I feel are kind of like transcended from something bigger in a way or I, yeah I th- I think a lot about sort of um I don't know there's something I think that the divine you know and like my work really th- it explores um concepts of godliness and mm-hmm. um right now I'm magic reading... it feels like it's a magic theme like yeah, magic, magic runs through your work yeah and it's sort of like we don't have to have everything be a sort of scientific uh, explanation in living. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, I like to think when a rainbow shows up, it's just good omen. I like to think mm. after a dry summer, oh, rain yeah. means, means abundance, rather than thinking about what the clouds and the sky and the cumulus thing and the humidity and the, you know, so I just yeah. feel like... Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something more to live for when when you believe in sort of the magic or the, simplic- the simplistic of life. side, the sim- simplicity of it, rather than really you're saying the scientific workings. You, mm-hmm. as you're saying right at the beginning of this conversation about getting back to simpler times, getting back to nature, mm-hmm. really just mm-hmm. looking at the world from that angle where it's more awe-inspiring. But- it's much more mm-hmm. exciting to, to mm-hmm. navigate through of course of course you might find that you might take up writing or take up music or another language or you might be uh, meditating it it really makes you a more fuller person and i was yeah. i was walking with my friend in the city yesterday i was in brooklyn and i said you know i said it's weird it's almost like the city needed to rupture and it needed to shut down mm-hmm. for people to realize that time doesn't have to be a currency. And, you know, because when, uh, from what I heard from my friend Haley, she was just like, yeah, uh, you know, when the COVID happened, people were sort of like stepping outside of their house, like, and there was like this really intense, like, almost zombie lost what's the purpose of living in life kind of notion that was like sort of mm-hmm. ingrained on people's faces. Mm. And then it's yes. like, as that sort of passes, like everything passes in life, you know, we have to remember that. Um, and then the sort of like solidarity movement begins mm. Mm. and the sort of like wanting more and wanting better for just our lives. Mm. Let became sort of like the bar. It wasn't Mm -hmm. about, you know, where am I going to go Friday night with such and such and who's going and this sort of thing, you know. And um, it it was wonderful. It's like I think in New York City now for the next two years, you can uh, drink drink, an open alcoholic beverage on the streets. Oh yeah, uh, is that, yeah. That's, that's a new thing that's come out. There. It's well, that's super a great new. Thing to come out of COVID, so I yeah. walked. I walked around last night with a Corona beer on, on my hand, and it was. <laughs> well, that's you know, history. Yes. 
10 at night and I was like, there's something really special about this city, you know, but it's just like, and you saw people dancing and, you know, it, it, protesters giving out water to one another. It was really wonderful. I mean, I think that we're, we're in this like cultural, spiritual shift. And yeah, that's why I kept calling the lockdown you should consider it a spiritual vacation <laughs> because yeah. like we really are in this like shift. And I think that um, if this, if it's just, it's needed. It's needed. You know what's the so universe- interesting as well is that going back to the Vogue Italia cover, because that was to do with sustainability. And there's been all these um, mm-hmm. discussions for at least a decade now within the fashion world, which has been kind of cynically adopted, in my opinion, with some of the bigger fashion brands where they kind of try to make out they're being more sustainable and caring about environment. But I think, you know, by the beginning of 2020, it had got to the point where, you know, you've got the world's greatest fashion magazine actually doing a whole issue dedicated to sustainability. Um, you know, which is such an interesting thing to have come just before COVID. And if you think of the Me Too movement, which was also, you know, shattering um, in society and made so many people wake up to different abuses towards women. And and mm-hmm. um, and it was also started by a person of colour, by a black woman, um, that whole movement. And, and also the ecological... Um, awareness of the youth you know the younger generations waking up with Greta Thunberg and and all of these these kind of massive events that have happened in the past few years leading up to now that's kind of why I believe change can happen now because I actually think the younger generation are becoming more politically aware which is kind of why I spoke about being political in the in the beginning you know and freedom this idea of freedom and personal freedoms you know that 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 idea that you can now walk down the street holding a beer in your hand (laughs) yeah yeah it's like we we have to ask ourselves as as a society in which way which way and what way and what will we do to choose how we'd like our futures to be for our children and for our neighbors and for our own sake of sanity and i think that um the, those are questions maybe sometimes it's not always easy to answer, but life brings you, you know, things you don't always expect. And mm-hmm. uh, there's, you know, you can choose to look the other way or you can choose to really deal with it. And I think that uh, that that even goes with a self-working approach with one's, <laughs> one's own life, you know. Um, so I think it's really like a, I do believe in a sort of... Um, uh, I, I I believe in a sort of universal happiness, you know, and I I think it can happen. Um, and uh, to get there, it's it's not easy, but I think that we we are doing the work, and um, it it feels that this is going down of I I believe a sort of healthier. <laughs> future you know I really do I do feel that way I think people are more sensitive now than ever they think about what they eat you know and Mm -hmm. they want kind of food security for everyone you know Mm -hmm. and um so this it's almost like we're thinking about with the world changing so fast Mm -hmm. and and everything that's sort of at our fingertips like good and bad it's almost like if we don't quality control right now, it's going to blow up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here, I think we need to prioritize empathy and compassion and understanding 
um, for you know others and um, yeah make that our priority and commit to that make that commitment going forward yeah t- totally you know we're all in this sort of journey together this journey called life <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so totally yeah so Cassie we ask every guest that comes on two questions the first one is if you could do an art heist if you could have any work of artwork in the world, whatever it is, a building, a, a drawing, a sculpture, anything, what would it be and why? Hmm. Well, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Especially considering we've been talking about kind of owning things like capitalist society. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, yes, yeah, yeah. Now if tell you us what you would take for yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hmm. You know what? I mean, it's like I I kind of live that way anyway. I feel like I'm super attracted to like really old, like special African art. Um, yeah. So you know, I I don't know. There's like so many good ones. It's love. Like I'd love like a, a an Akan headpiece you know the, from What's the Ghana like? tribe the, the, right. I'm, I'm wanting to open up my book but I don't want to walk away from you right now but um yeah it's like the, they were just master like goldsmiths you know and they were and I feel like those to live with something from the Akan tribe would be incredible and that for me is sort of like an art piece in itself I'm like really fascinated and interesting and interested in like objects that were sort mm-hmm. of, um, you know, in these sort of high realms of a sort of sex in the cultural cultural societies. So the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Um, lavender. <laughs> oh, really? Ooh, are you growing lavender? Is that why? I love lavender. I mean, I have like cat mint that's lavender. Lavender and I have like I'm growing alliums so the kind of onion bulbs and those are sort of like a deep lavender and I paint with a lot of lavender but more like a lilac and that shows up in my work a lot because I feel like it has calming qualities mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I one of my friends once called me a colorist sage <laughs> and um, I really do believe that I, like one can heal through color. Like, you know, I wear a lot of like mustard and yellow because it, I just feel like it makes people happy. It's a good energy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I actually find the plant lavender, like it's my favorite plant. And I planted a lot in my garden here in Margate. And I remember my mum saying to me, but why are you planting so much lavender? But like, it brings me so much joy because of all the senses, yes. because it smells so great. Mm-hmm. It looks so it's, great when it flowers. It's and mine have just flowered and it is the most exciting week of my life. Oh, literally. lucky you. Yeah, it's I'm just rewarding. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing when you do grow plants and they actually do grow and you don't oh, kill them. so incredible. You feel like you've really achieved something. Seriously, my yeah, whole garden. Yeah, Cassie, I'm, like, I'm going to send you photos. <laughs> oh, yeah, send yeah, me yeah. photos. Yeah, and I drink I lavender tea every night. So Do you? It's, it's so good for you. It's Ooh, so good. try. I haven't done that. It's wonderful. And like elderberry tea has been a big one for me too because of the, um, the, the this kind of allergy season. It's mm. supposed to clear the sinuses, you know. Oh, um, wow. Another purplish. You're magic. You're magic. <laughs> so you. you're right, right now, 
you are aiming towards your show at Goodman Gallery in South Africa towards the end of the year. Do you have a date for that yet, or we, we're all still in limbo? We it's, love Goodman it's, Gallery. It's November. It's set for November um, okay. 22nd. Yes. And that's what you're working towards now? Yes, I'm working towards it. And it's the beginning is always like a crazy thing for me because it's like there's so much energy and there's so much um, kind of anxious energy to kind of want to sort of get the show sort of in this perfect it's almost like yeah. working in like cinema you know mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and uh, it's like i want to make sure that the story is cohesive and it's tight and it feels like i can give some something to someone that they can walk away with so it's different when i'm making a single painting versus like a show yeah. when i so um but yeah that's that's what i'm working on right now and um I'm currently look, doing some research in the studio today. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's really exciting. And actually, I, I, I had a Zoom call the other day with Joe Stella-Savica from Goodman Gallery and, um, and Justin as well, Justin Davey, because um, we were chatting about possibly making a print with you one day. Um, oh, my which, God, I would love that. Yeah, which could be a very exciting thing for the future for Counter Editions. So, yeah, watch this space, hopefully. That sounds great. <laughs> would be a major privilege to collaborate with you. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Yes. Maybe a print from uh, the uh, the 2020 Goodman show. I feel like, why not? That would be great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be amazing. Do you know how many works you're making for that? Yeah, I have 12 canvases sitting in my studio. Um, and it'll, the work will ha- the, the show will have, you know, one larger work, a like 66 and a half by 92 inches and then a very mm, wow. small painting like 18 by 18 inches so um yeah. do you have a favorite so scale you scales. work on you know i have the scales that i go to um a lot the, the, this show i think has more horizontal paintings than vertical um right and uh, the space is quite unique in Johannesburg. It's the kind of heritage building, a lot of kind of circular um, architecture to the space. So mm-hmm. I had to really consider um, scale. And I was very lucky because finally uh, my art supply store in, in Soho opened up. I, I really love working on um, cotton poly. It's a sort of like a more firm uh, canvas and I use uh, the aluminium stretcher bars on the back. So that's what's, it's, it'll, it'll be super durable to get to South Africa from New York. And, and I have the scales all set up. I kind of mocked it up on the, on the interweb. Well, not me, my, oh, wow. my, my, my boyfriend's really good at doing that stuff. So I'll just give him the sizes right, the and he'll stuff. like, he'll mock up the space. Yeah. I always mock up <laughs> yeah. the space and I always like, I really consider size. So that's like a big important uh, factor. And when it comes to like working the paintings into the individual sizes. So, um, right. Yeah. And when you work on all 12 of, you said you've got 12 canvases now, will you work on all of them at once or one at a time? You know, this time it'll be unique um, because my space is quite big. It's 1,800 square foot, but I'm leaving, I'm set to leave in July for a month. Um, and I will make small paintings wherever I am. I think I might go to the Azores or somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure. Or I might yeah. take a road trip to New Hampshire. Um, Lovely. 
and I just kind of want the change of pace. I, I I tend to always make one or two works in a show where I travel, um, but always there's a consistent palette. I think a lot about palette as well, and then I tend to sort of because the palette is consistent, it it usually means that I'm working at on all of them sort of around the same time or if not two by two then I might group them together so this you see that kind of in Pippi show in London mm -hmm. there's sort of like groupings yeah. of paintings that kind of speak to each other and sort of this like color language so yeah do you find it hard to let your paintings go to be sold and what is and what is the dream uh, for you where would you want your work to be shown what is there a dream institution or collection you'd like to be in um you know, it's not, there's some work that is hard for me. This is actually, right now, I have a lot of my work in my studio. And this is because of the, the COVID, things haven't been able to ship out so quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been sort of weird having my painting sit with me for this long because I'll like, sort of like look at the corner of that painting and I want to like touch it up a little bit and like work, <laughs> yes. you know? So it's like this sort of like, I, I do have a painting rack, of course, painting storage where I can put the paintings away, but it's almost like they've become my sort of studio mates in a weird way, like yeah, the Siamese yeah. Yeah, twins yeah. and the thing. Um, but no, there's sort of this, like whenever they leave me, it's sort of like your children go off to college and it's like you're like can be left alone for a while but it kind of feels like that it's like i'm excited that they're kind of taking on this new life oh. and it's like my intention was there and now there's like something new i want to birth so yeah. it's like there's like this like constant cycle like this like sort of seasonal like movement or something um and uh the as, as far as institutions um i really like the dia museum in uh in detroit yeah. i think they have a wonderful collection and you know also folk art and you know mm. um and then i also really i i quite like the baltimore museum I, you know i'm thinking more sort of like in in uh internally and of course like the tape would be wonderful <laughs> i love yeah. the oh, tape yes. so much yes, yes we do too um, and we would love yeah to have I, 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 so there's a lot of <laughs> And yeah, I think there needs to be, you know, I had the most wonderful opening in London. You, like, mm. I love London so much. Mm. It's like when I get, I go there, I just feel so, so, uh, I don't know. It's like it's ease or something. I just really enjoy the sensibility of London. It's so fun. Um, yeah. Oh, well, we want nice you back. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we go, I just want to talk about, uh, titles because we talked about the shows you're talking and that show you were just talking about was uh, Little Is Enough for Those in Love at Pibby Holdsworth and then we've talked about your show in Miami which is called Dog Meat Cat Meat God Knows What Meat and then there's there's titles of your pieces but the one that I really love is Four-Legged Girl Awaits Her Beloved in Melancholy Letters Are Exchanged Loneliness Has Replaced Pining 2020 Mm. <laughs> which for me I just think is like so poetic and, and kind of so random in, in what it's brought together but I, I think it's so beautiful and Thank I think you. like how important titles are for you they seem to be the because it's carrying on the storytelling and the narrative right yeah well you know like I feel um 
<laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that painting. But um, no, you know, my earlier work had like sometimes it, I think of my title sometimes in prose is um, and my earlier work was like these very long titles. And I think that there was it. There's something about I I. I I mentioned to uh, someone who had a studio visit with me the other day, it's like, how do you create like, you know, sort of um, techniques or find out new sort of um, enjoyments in your work? And it's really when I'm left alone, it's like there's no distractions and there's like this sort of um, quiet time with my my thoughts. And I think sort of deep down inside, there's always been this sort of, yearning to keep writing as a practice um i feel like poetry is sort of a lost art and it's something that i think that everyone should attempt to do for themselves i you know and you might surprise yourself um i sometimes teach to my friend's daughter this is a thing that i've taken up on zoom I'll, i'll teach some of my friend's kids and uh, my friend Josie and her daughter, the, the, the one of the homeworks I gave them was to write a poem about Mother Earth. And uh, as funny as it may seem, it was like the, it was so easy because I think when you take up a, this a practice that is, um, you know, anything spiritual, which is music, or painting, or dancing, or something, does it often brings you back to a kind of lang- a language, a connection with with um with with the earth and it was just like the most beautiful poetry and I didn't do my homework I didn't write I didn't write it in advance and I showed up with them on uh, you know in class on zoom and they mm-hmm. said won't you write something and I, I wrote something so free within about three minutes and um that sort of surprised me it's sort of that that intuition or that intuitiveness when you were honest to the moment. And I think when I made that painting, I thought about everyone who was starting love during COVID mm. and then had to cease from their partners or their, their oh, admirers God, yeah. or whoever, they, they, you know what I'm saying? Mm. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So, and um, sometimes letters are exchanged, but it can the the flame can also die out time is a very funny funny way of making things sort of more obsolete in a way yeah definitely i actually met a guy in margate who's a friend on the beach and he was with someone you know when we were social distance walking at one point and i didn't recognize the person he was with and it was actually like a new boyfriend that he'd met and they decided to like live together during the lockdown, even though they'd only just met like a month before or something. And That's um, what I'm it saying. was hilarious. There's so many, yeah. <laughs> you had people who And they were doing good. Well no, he said yeah, he said they were doing who good. Were willing to take yeah. risks. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. And he said they actually were having separate so bedrooms funny. so that it wasn't too intense. So like yeah. so like they, they would actually have alone time and privacy as well as spending, yeah, you know, dates and stuff. And I thought that was really clever. But I also thought it was very sweet because in those early um, throes of love, it's like, it's quite a nice thing to have that intense connection anyway, I guess. But it's a bit uh, braver than me. I don't think I would have been yeah, that brave. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Cassie. You're very welcome. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you.
Yeah, it's been the dream. And um, I really hope we get to hang out in real life very soon. And um, mm-hmm. thank you so much to yeah, Nina Johnson. Yeah, we'll see what's to come. And to Goodman Gallery and to Joe Stella and everybody who helped organize yes, this wonderful chat today. Yeah, and, and all um, images we talked yeah. about will be will be appearing on our Instagram feed at Talkart. And you're on Instagram. You have two pages on Instagram, don't you? One one that's predominantly all your work, and one is your yeah, vegetables and herbs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one one more of my Cassie like ponderings and uh-huh. whatever. Nature, Cassie yeah. and nature. Yes, exactly. <laughs> at Cassie Namoda, your name, and then the other one is what is the one that's predominantly your work? Cass underscore amanda and it's like double a at the end we will um link to both of those on our instagram so people can find it easily and um, thank you so much very soon thanks for listening cassie thanks have a a very wonderful (laughs) evening bye-bye lots of love you you too Bye. bye You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.